Hey, everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, March 8th, 2020. This is some crazy weather we have got going on here in Genoa City. <laughs> we got ice all over the roads right now. We got trees falling down left and right. I feel like I'm having deja vu. Didn't we just have a big storm where everybody was stuck together and quirkiness ensued? <laughs> yes, we did. Oh, yes, we did. It was three months ago. I feel like I'm watching a repeat right now. And here's the kicker. Billy and Amanda were stuck together during the last storm three months ago, only they were at the empty glass bar and lounge. <laughs> this time, they're stuck together again at the hotel. And get this, three months ago during the last storm, Phyllis and Nick were also stranded together again at Nick's house. What a bizarre coincidence. <laughs> there was one key difference, though. Last time Phyllis and Nick were stranded together, Phyllis was only thinking about squeezing Nick's buns. And this time she actually did get to squeeze Nick's buns. <laughs> oh, can't complain about that. Those two are great. I loved it. I mean, if you ask me, Phyllis and Nick, this Phyllis and Nick are gold. I mean, they spent the entire storm denying that the kiss they had at Victor's party meant anything. They were denying that they had any romantic, lingering feelings for one another. And they were agreeing over and over that they are so much better off as just friends. Cut to Phyllis peeling Nick's shirt off his back and vice versa. <laughs> oh, the old chemistry is there. I am feeling the chemistry and I am liking it. I also really like that Nick seems to bring out the softer, deeper side of Phyllis. I felt sad for Phyllis early in the week when she was showing up at Nick's house with the Chinese food, trying to be very supportive for him and what he's going through with his family and with Victoria. But also, I was getting the vibe that Phyllis was secretly, desperately hoping for another smooch and a snuggle. But then Phyllis, Phyllis got shut down, you know, she, you know, Nick wasn't reciprocating what she was trying to do. He says that 
whatever is going on there between them, including that kiss at the party, cannot happen. And she just seemed really upset about it. She decided to, you know, recoil back into herself and pick up her toys and leave the party. And the whole time I'm just thinking, I don't see what the problem is, Nick. I don't see why you can't just hook up. I mean, Nick's never said no before. Why start now? Nick has nothing else going on. He's got no girlfriend, no job, no life. Why not get a little nookie to go with your fortune cookie? Phyllis was so defensive, and she totally played off their kiss like it meant nothing to her, which we know isn't true. But it was interesting to see Phyllis's defense mechanisms in full operation. She put the whole thing onto him. She said, you know, I don't want you. You're just so vain, assuming that I have any interest in you. How <laughs> would we know exactly what she was hoping for? Can we just take a moment to acknowledge the brilliance of the line when Phyllis said to Nick, uh, sometimes an egg roll is just an egg roll. And then she took a big old bite out of the egg roll. That line and that moment was so smart and so suggestive. And yet it wasn't delivered that way at all. I don't even know if you guys caught it. It was just so subtle, which is probably the only reason it got past the censors. Sometimes an egg roll is just an egg roll. And then she takes a big old bite out of the egg roll, <laughs> which is shaped like an egg roll. Oh my goodness. <laughs> mm. It was so clear to the viewers that Phyllis was feeling rejected by Nick. And so she got all befuddled and she tried to leave. But that darn ice storm it was pretty bad out there, you know. <laughs> Ice everywhere. Better just stay inside of Nick's house where it's safe and warm and you can talk about your feelings some more. <laughs> oh, come on. Nick's luck is not very hard to pick. All Phyllis had to do was say the word sex. And she had to know that Nick would eventually be eating out of her hand. <laughs> I have to tell you, the purest and most wonderful laugh that I have truly and genuinely had from Y&R in a really long time was when Phyllis looked at Nick and she very sincerely and very matter-of-factly told him that he was amazing at sex. <laughs> she was listing it like it was just one of his best qualities. <laughs> oh, I really laughed at that, and it came right from my heart. It was so wholesome. It was like milk and cookies for me. 
make a Nick feel things in the pants. <laughs> oh, that hit the spot. <laughs> and it was more milk and cookies from there on out. Nick was never going to let Phyllis sleep alone on his couch after saying how amazing he is at sex. <laughs> he wasn't going to let her lie there on his couch in her sad track suit. <laughs> there was only one trajectory for that egg roll. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I just hope that Phyllis can fit into more of Summer's sensible loungewear, any other clothes that Summer might have on hand, I hope Phyllis can fit into it because I wouldn't be surprised if Phyllis now goes home to her hotel room and finds her entire closet of clothes sliced to smithereens. Abby is stuck at the Grand Phoenix Hotel during the power outage that the hotel is experiencing. And she's getting ready to sell the place, yet the deal hasn't gone through. So she feels obligated to go through the motions of being the hotel manager still. She does feel absolutely fine getting snippy with the hotel guests, though. <laughs> She's not going to let the place burn down, but she is going to go ahead and snark back at the hotel guests who are complaining about the lack of power. I feel that those guests had it coming for daring to complain. Who in their right mind would go out of their way to complain about power outages during an ice storm? I mean, power outages are kind of an accepted part of living on planet Earth at this point, let alone, I mean, the Midwest. <laughs> what is she exactly supposed to do about a power outage? She needed to let off some steam. Thank goodness that Chance was there to help her. Chance went right back into the kitchen and made up some PB&Js for the hotel guests. <laughs> He was serving up those PB&Js like a good boy, and then I get the feeling that he was serving up some hot dogs, too, for Abby later that night. <laughs> this is the level that I'm operating on. This is what I consider another beautiful, wholesome moment, that joke. <laughs> that joke made me happy. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm kind of getting sick of this hotel. I imagine Abby's getting sick of it if I'm getting sick of it. Does it bother any of you other fans of The Young and the Restless right now that half of the town seems to live at the Grand Phoenix Hotel? We've got Abby, Chance, Phyllis, Kyle, Amanda... Billy, it's too many people living in a hotel. 
I am thinking that maybe Abby needs to open up a condominium next door. We do not need another extended hotel stay in this town. Well, for at least for now, Abby is still stuck managing the Grand Phoenix Hotel. She still also has full security privileges. She can just go ahead and let herself into any guest's room that she wants to whenever she wants to. Chance decides this week that he is ready to enact his plan to break into Phyllis's hotel room to find and destroy any copies of that Vegas recording. What did he need Kevin for, then? I thought that Kevin was supposed to be the one doing this sophisticated computer hack work. (laughs) Instead, Abby got a whiff of what Chance was doing, and Abby broke into Phyllis's room in advance of Chance. And together, Abby and Chance just ransacked the place. They found her hidden thumb drive. And then (laughs) when Chance couldn't hack Phyllis's laptop, Abby stood there, opened up a little bottle of water, and poured water all over the laptop, which we know is the universal laptop kryptonite. No laptop can survive water, I am sure. (laughs) I am sure that that mini fridge-sized bottle of water poured just right on top of the keyboard, completely fried the encased hard drive on the underside of the computer. Mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> Please, give me two hours. I will have that laptop back up and running. I will be sitting there in front of it, watching and listening to the, the Vegas recording of Chance and Adam. No problem. <laughs> Oh, what a brat. What a brat, Abby. (laughs) Oh, I suppose Phyllis had it coming. I suppose Phyllis should have seen it coming. But I'll tell you what Phyllis wouldn't have seen coming. As if it wasn't enough. As if all of that part wasn't enough. Abby is so into this dual spy mission slash get revenge on Phyllis plan (laughs) that Abby pulls Chance into the bathroom and they decide to just wash it all away by having sudsy soapy sex in Phyllis's shower. (laughs) Yeah. That'll teach Phyllis to mess with Chance and Abby. Because the ultimate insult, they even used Phyllis's loofah 
during the sex scene. Oh, yes, it wasn't enough to steal her property, to destroy her computer, to have sex in her shower. They actually used her loofah, too. Speaking of complete and utter immaturity, <laughs> the scenes with Kyle, Summer, Theo, and Lola were also straight out of a high schooler's fantasy writing composition journal. I can just see it all now. It was the middle of a ferocious ice storm. All of the students were trapped inside of the school. Everyone forced to sleep on the gymnasium floor. Kyle and Summer were snuggling on one side of the gym when Theo and Lola were snuggling on the other side of the gym. Lola was aroused and intrigued by her new boyfriend, but depressed that her old boyfriend was moving on with the head cheerleader. <laughs> and I mean, the arm wrestling match. <laughs> it might as well have been a real wrestling match, like a high school wrestling match with Theo and Kyle wearing the small little leotards <laughs> and helmets. <laughs> Oh, what can I say? Immaturity is fun, though. I mean, this is coming from the girl who likes a good egg roll and hot dog joke, so <laughs> I guess I can't judge it. <laughs> oh, I was really glad to see Theo laying Kyle's arm down on the table. That was a really, really fun moment. And then when Kyle started to make a stink about it, saying that Theo cheated, Theo's response was, uh, can someone get him a glass of wine with an H? <laughs> that was a really well-delivered. It was a well-delivered and well-written line. And not for nothing, I gotta say, Michael Milor plays good comedy. He is very adept at knowing how to let Kyle be the butt of the joke. Kyle is a lot of butt of a lot of joke right now. I really wish that YNR would take some time to show us a few more moments of Kyle's regret over what he's done to Lola. And if not that, then regret over what became of his marriage to Lola. It feels like Kyle has no problem whatsoever being cozy with Summer right in front of Lola while he's still married to Lola. Of course, I realized that Kyle and Summer didn't choose to be there. They weren't trying to rub it in anyone's face, but at least out of respect for the marriage to Lola, if it ever meant 
anything to him at all. I feel like if I were standing in Kyle's shoes, I would at least have a, an aside conversation with Summer and say, let's just keep it cool tonight, okay? I don't want to hurt Lola. Let's just maybe not be snuggling up and sucking face in front of them. <laughs> uh. And, you know, I mean, it kind of sullies the relationship that's building between Theo and Lola for me a little bit, even though I like it. I like Lola and Theo. There are a lot of joyous moments that I'm getting from those two right now, but I'd like to have more joyous moments with Theo and Lola without feeling like their relationship is influenced on any level by Kyle and Summer. I don't want to feel that Theo and Lola's relationship is in response to Kyle and Lola's relationship. I don't want it to feel revenge-driven or like it's a runner-up prize for either of them. Because Lola and Theo have such a fun dynamic. I mean, she is so pushy with him. I mean, physically. If you've ever noticed, it feels like the actress is always kind of pushing Theo physically. She, I mean, she can literally just, like, push and pull him and shove him around in any direction that she wants, and maybe she enjoys that power in a time when she felt powerless to save her marriage. But, um, you know... Lola and Theo were just getting somewhere and it felt like they were getting there on their own when they were stuck together at first alone at society during the storm and they were having this I don't know how else to describe it but almost kind of like a phone sex style fantasy where they were telling each other what they would do if they were trapped inside of Lola's apartment at the ice storm. I mean, that was kind of sexy, right? <laughs> but then Kyle and Summer had to blow in from the street and ruin it all. Freaking Kyle drove the company car into a snowbank or something and he got the car stuck and had to run to his nearest ex-wife's restaurant for help. What a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> what a total tool. <clears throat> but, it, you know, but again, I feel like the actor really makes it work. It feels, it makes it feel like it, there's a, there's enough of a comedic element that's being played here that makes me feel like it's okay to hate Kyle and to razz on him a little bit. I mean, he's such a, just such a dork. I think Theo deserved to win the arm wrestling match. But it was so awkward between the four of them. I mean, Kyle and Summer walked right in as Lola and Theo were just about to have a kiss. And they both, their faces were aghast. Kyle and Summer had wide mouths. <laughs> eh, serves them right. The whole time. Lola and Theo kept sneaking back to the kitchen, probably really just wanting an escape, mostly for Loa. Lola. I think she wanted to do anything on earth rather than stand there and try to make small talk with her soon-to-be ex-husband and his new girlfriend-slash-ex-wife. <laughs> 
So every time Lola tried to escape to the kitchen, Theo would follow her. And there was no need to make small talk between those two because they were practically crawling on each other up against the refrigerator. <laughs> Ooh. So I bet that was extra sexy for them both. Like, to know that they were making out on one side of the gym while Kyle and Summer were on the other side of the gym. <laughs> I mean, Lola has a million reasons to want revenge, and Theo has had this whole love-hate thing going on with both Kyle and Summer separately for longer than Lola has. So there was, there's some, there's some underlying um, emotional issues as, that are going on with Lola and Theo, aside from just you know their attraction to each other. Um, Lola admitted to Theo that she actually kind of likes taking her anger at Kyle out on Theo. And another really wholesome moment for me was after the arm wrestling match, Lola drug Theo, dragged Theo back to the kitchen again, and she was scolding him for participating in this childish arm wrestling match. And he said to her, hey, if you need to take your anger out on me like you did before, I'll understand. <laughs> It's like he is just waiting for, he's a dog, and she's just leading him around on a leash, and he's just waiting for her to say yes, I think, <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, because he had his opportunity where she would have done it, and he said no, but now we're, we're moving into a different phase of the relationship, and Theo is just there with his tongue hanging out, his tongue's just wagging, he's just waiting for her to give him the green light. I love it, though. It's fun. It is fun. I mean, we had to take some leaps to get here. <laughs> had to take some emotional leaps. But now that we're here, I do. I, I like the actors. I think they're really carrying it. I think that Theo is so great. I love it when he uh, cocks his arm out, waiting for Lola to take it. And then, you know, it's sort of, he's sort of gentlemanly, and I find that very attractive. And I loved hearing them talk about the fantasy of their first date. You know, just go into a movie, and then afterwards, just roam in the streets until 1 a.m., <laughs> begging for fresh macaroons from the bakery that Y&R Chatter Simone runs. <laughs> fun crossovers. <laughs> I just wish we were actually going to see Lola and, and Theo's first date rather than just talking about it. Um, we've seen a lot of the same sets here recently, and maybe it's because it's winter. I don't know. I, I just think that we are soon going to need to see something outdoorsy and romantic and floral. Spring is in the air. Let's all go for a walk to Chancellor Park.
I was just talking with YNR Chatter Gary about this last week. I think that we need a new permanent occupant for the Chancellor Mansion. Jill can retain ownership of it. That's fine with me. But she's not on the show regularly. So I think she needs to rent it out permanently to some characters who we are seeing on a more regular basis. And I think I would like to nominate Devon to be the new man of the mansion. Yes, I know Devon can afford to just buy the mansion if he wants to, but if it's not for sale, I think now that he's got his billions back, he could say that he wants to move into the Chancellor Mansion so that he can be closer to his grandmother and to help him reflect on what Catherine would have wanted him to do with his wealth now that it's back in his hands so easily and so quickly and with so little fanfare. (laughs) Or maybe, if not Devon, maybe the Baldwin Fisher family could move into the Chancellor Mansion, rent it out. I mean, they all seem to have a whole lot of fun there during the storm. (laughs) Michael and Lauren seemed particularly comfortable there. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Chloe and Kevin catching Michael and Lauren enjoying the fire. I just about died. I really did. I just about collapsed on the floor. Chloe Chloe comes down from their bedroom, <laughs> catches Michael and Lauren like naked under a sheet on the floor on Catherine's living room floor. Michael and Lauren were like doing it while Catherine's big old portrait is looking down at them. <laughs> No problem with that whatsoever. I feel like Catherine would not have a problem with that whatsoever. (laughs) It felt okay by me. Maybe Catherine was kinky. Maybe she would have been into it. I loved it. (laughs) But Chloe and Kevin walk in and they are aghast. Especially Kevin. Kevin took on this very angry father tone while Michael was more of the rebellious teenager putting on his shirt saying, What? You told us to enjoy the fire. <laughs> oh, the comedy is better with YNR right now. I was critical of their ability to actually land the punch several months back, and I think we're getting there. There has been some funny, funny moments lately. It was ridiculous, but it was ridiculously funny, so in a good way. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Michael was ridiculous. Lauren, I had to laugh also at how completely flawlessly comfortable she was just wearing a sheet. (laughs) Even after they got caught, she was perfectly fine just walking around the living room just with the sheet. (laughs) She had absolutely no shame about it whatsoever. And why should she? She could have been walking that rockin' bod right down a runway in that sheet. And she looked great. (laughs) 
Oh, what a highlight. What a highlight of the week. I have to tell you, though, if Chloe would have gone into labor right there on the Chancellor Mansion floor this week, I was going to blow the roof off of this place. <laughs> no. Chloe just announced her pregnancy at Christmas. It's been two months. She is big as a house, and she's already having contractions after two months. Okay, okay, never fear. They explained it away as Braxton Hicks contractions. But unless I'm wrong, I think that's more of a second or third trimester kind of problem. It is still too early for all of this. Two months. She wouldn't really even know the gender of the baby, right? Two months. <laughs> I could strangle these writers sometimes. They can't seem to take their time with anything. Not character development, not relationship development, not even human development. This week, Victoria learns how and why she was stabbed. Turns out it was Victor. Stabbed her right in the back. While well, she's asleep, recovering upstairs, Victor is calling Adam out to the ranch to announce his plans for who he's going to name as CEO of Newman Enterprises in Victoria's absence. I don't see why we're even having this conversation. Victoria seems fine. She can work from home. Has anybody even asked her if she would like to do a little work from home, or is it all just an assumption? I mean, come on. <laughs> Newman Enterprises has been without a CEO for, what, two days now? Over the years, over the decades, Victor has managed to get shot, to get sick, to disappear for months on end, and still be the CEO of Newman Enterprises. Why can't Victoria just do it from the luxury of the ranch? Oh my gosh. The ranch. There was a, that big storm took out the biggest tree on the whole property. <laughs> that freaking tree was probably centuries old. And that storm took it right out. Another, other trees, too. <laughs> I'm, is anybody else, like, super concerned about that tree? <laughs> because I am. It sounded really big. It sounded like it was a really big tree. Was it oak? Was it pine? I don't know. Was it, like, a walnut tree? I love trees. So I have so many questions. I'm frankly far more concerned about the tree <laughs> than who the heck is, is going to be running Newman Enterprises. Couldn't care less about that, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. 
But Victoria hears the noise of the big old tree. And she runs downstairs to find out what happened. And the moment she locked eyes with Adam, I could see her internal dialogue going, what in the hell is he doing here? <laughs> what in the hell is Adam doing here while I'm upstairs sleeping peacefully? I could see it on her face, but then apparently she didn't decide to stick around to ask any questions. Victoria just disappeared. She went back upstairs to sleep and then left Victor to sit there, stand there, dragging out his decision-making process. <laughs> oh, come on. Victor is searching for some sign that Adam is going to be willing to bend to his will. And Adam's whole argument for why he's entitled to run the company is that he's the only son of Victor Newman who wants to do it. Chelsea even said to Victor privately, Adam deserves to run that company. Really? Because I barely remember Adam ever working there. Okay, he's got his Harvard degree, but I barely ever remember him being there. You want to know who deserves to run that company? Victoria. Victoria deserves to run that company. You remember her? You know, the one who's been showing up day to day for decades? <laughs> this whole conversation is not even about Newman Enterprises, okay? It's about Victor and Adam's relationship. Victor wants Adam to bow down, and Adam wants Victor's approval. And so here we are, digging up all this unnecessary family drama when we know that Victoria is going to be back at the office in two weeks. Color me shocked. Billy is actually pursuing Amanda now. And... Amanda is starting to give in. I thought we were completely done with this relationship. <laughs> I thought all signs were there that this was just over. But Billy and Amanda were stuck together again during a storm. And Billy and Amanda were bonding over their newfound freedom and also bonding over junk food. Billy, the hunter, forager, leaves the hotel room to stalk his prey, to carefully flatten out his dollar bills and snag away all of the potato chips from the vast plains of the vending machines. <laughs> what a man! What a real man! <laughs> Any 
woman would be lucky to have him. See, here's the thing. There's an element of comedy when it comes to Kyle and him, Dog, and Lola. And I think it's almost there because of Theo. YNR has inserted this little bit of jokiness into that quadrant that allows you to kind of go, eh, Kyle, you dork. And then it's just like, you don't expect all that much from him. But I got some expectations for Billy. And there is no comedy. It's complete seriousness. It's all played for complete seriousness. And sometimes, like, mortality. So, Billy, I don't know why I have any high standards for him. I don't know why I've come to expect anything from him. Maybe just because I've known him longer. But I guess then I don't really know him that well at all. So, Billy and Amanda want each other now? And they have all along? Have I just been in denial all of this time? <laughs> I thought that Billy was, like, working on being his own answer to his own problems. Not just looking for another woman who wasn't Victoria. I can understand Amanda's perspective a little bit better. Amanda has been alone and isolated for probably years at this point. She's afraid. She's just been through an actual trauma, an actual problem. Billy is staying in her room at night because she is having nightmares. Ripley was apprehended, but... Amanda is not free of her guilt over what happened with Victoria, and Amanda's not free of the nightmares and feeling terrified over what almost happened to her. Apparently, when Ripley was arrested, he was discovered to be back en route to Genoa City with weapons in his car. Weapons. Mm, wow. Weapons which the cops believe were intended to be used upon Amanda. Well, now, how would they know that? <laughs> and why would they tell her that? Could we not just have seen Ripley one more time making an attempt or something and then somebody rescued Amanda? It's, again, it's all drama. It's all stuff that's happening off screen. Okay. <laughs> when Billy gets the Ripley update, Billy decides that even though Amanda is safe now, he does not want her to be physically alone understandably okay you know i get it she needs someone but by the end of the week billy had upgraded he had graduated from sleeping on the couch in amanda's room to sleeping in her bed right beside her to stay close to her so i don't know how i feel about all of this I want to be ready for this because if I can move on in other areas of the story, I don't want to get stuck here and just, like, hate where we're going. But at the same time, I don't think I'm ready for this. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Billy and Amanda relationship right now? Right 
Now, are you ready for Billy and Amanda? That's our poll question of the week at YRChat.com. Are you ready for the Billy and Amanda relationship right now? And the right now part of that is important because it's happening right now. We're not talking about, hey, Billy and Amanda in a couple weeks, couple months down the line when everything is settled with Victoria and the kids. We're talking about right now. Are you ready for this? Go to YRChat.com. You know what to do. Look, I don't know Amanda that well. She hasn't been around long enough for me to really have a long track record with her. But you know what? I do know Billy. And I am wondering right now, how is Amanda all that different from Victoria? She's kind of blunt and bland in the personality department, just like Victoria. She entertains Billy's whims to a point, and then she grabs his leash and she yanks him back in, just like Victoria. Amanda is just new. She's just new and sparkly, that's all it is. Well, is new and sparkly Really worth blowing up your whole family with Victoria over? (laughs) See, here's where I'm having trouble getting on board. I thought that Billy was going through something. You see, I thought that Billy was going through something only to discover himself on the other side of it all. Not just to get a new girlfriend. You know what? No, I cannot have this. This guy is so bad in relationships. I am voting no to uh, the Amanda and Billy relationship right now in our poll question for the week. And I hope that Amanda turns around and runs in the other direction. Billy just needs to be alone for a while, okay? In a time out. (laughs) To sit and think about what he's done. Devon and Elena approached Amanda this week again to apologize (laughs) for the witch hunt that they put her through, not knowing that she was actually the victim of a psycho stalker. (sighs) Why couldn't Devon have been the one to protect her? Am I the only former Hillary and Devon fan out here who is just still waiting around for the Amanda and Devon romance? I guess so. I guess I'm the only one that was sort of thinking maybe we we might go there. (laughs) It's hard not to think about Hillary when Amanda looks exactly like her. (laughs) And it's hard to not think about Hillary, especially when Devon was wondering out loud with Elena this week about whether or not he would have been a good father to the child that he lost with Hillary. I guess we're just headed in another direction because, of course, Devon would have been a good father. Duh! Devon is like the best father candidate ever in the world. And that tells me that from that conversation that maybe Devon and Elena are going to be having a baby soon. 
I mean, like two months from now, Elena could be lying on the floor of the New Hope Clinic giving birth to their child during the great tornado storm of 2020. (laughs) The great spring tornado of 2020, two months from now, Elena will be birthing their child. And then another two months from now, that child is going to be 20 years old. <laughs> oh. Eh. I can't help but unfairly speculate with absolutely no evidence and absolutely no right to say this, but I can't help feeling that perhaps Brighton James's relationship that's real life with Brittany Sharpie, I just feel like maybe that real-life relationship is what's giving Devon and Elena's fictional relationship such long legs. Because although Devon and Elena are a very nice couple, they're very sweet. And, you know, that can't be completely underestimated. There's just not a lot of drama going on there. Uh, You know, I I would have thought that Amanda would have been a good and appropriate challenge for them. I mean, they bothered to bring back a twin sister of Hillary's. I would have thought that maybe that might be a factor in Devon's life. How could it not be a running theme that Devon is like bumping into the woman who looks like his dead wife all over the place? I mean, they just haven't played that at all. Although, I don't know, to be fair, Amanda is really nothing like Hillary. Amanda's a little bland, if I'm honest with myself. I mean, she's smoking hot. I mean, Amanda is like, I mean, one of the most beautiful women ever. But the character has no personality. <laughs> so maybe she wouldn't have been a challenge for Devon and Elena, and maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it's nice to just have some nice people featured on the show. You know, Devon, Elena, and Nate, they're all very nice. It's just not very exciting. And at first, I was a little leery of this new medical clinic. I mean, they bothered to build us this sort of um, old, again, I get the impression it's sort of an old warehouse district building. It's got, you know, the, the it's a little crumbly. Uh, and I was a little leery to be seeing this medical clinic because, you know, there's nothing less sexy than a medical clinic. I mean, it's it's not... It's not a movie theater or a hangout, and I suppose that maybe possibly would have been what I'd have rather seen. But then, you know, I got turned around a little bit this week. Devon and Elena and Nate happened upon their very first patient for the clinic, a uh, shop owner's grandson, a local shop owner's grandson, got jumped and ransacked by a group of homeless people in the middle of the storm. And during the hubbub, a piece of metal cut this kid's arm and it looked like a pretty brutal arm gash. And he was in need of some medical attention. Elena and Nate were able to help get him bandaged up and back on his feet in no time. Okay. Well, all right. (laughs) That's good. It's nice. Again, very nice. I have a feeling that we are going to be seeing that guy again, Jared. 
<laughs> we're going to be seeing Jared again because, first of all, Elena wants to make sure that he follows through and gets his tetanus shot. <laughs> and Nate owes him a coat after uh, Nate ripped his coat to access the wound. That kid was kind of ungrateful, wasn't he? I mean, that coat is worth way less than what the cost of his medical care had he gone to the ER would have been. And, by the way, that coat was ripped up by the metal before he ever stepped foot through the clinic door. <laughs> so, eh, I don't think we owe this guy anything else. But, you know, we're caring and we're sharing and we're hopeful and we're helping. I think we're going to see more of this kid. And I think we're going to be seeing more of his story, uh, you know, and his transformation from maybe being a little closed off to maybe blossoming here in Genoa City. I think before we know it, um, that kid is going to toss off his new coat and his stocking cap, and he's going to be sipping lattes at Crimson Lights with all of the other hipsters in no time. Sharon says she's been getting very positive feedback from everyone that she's run into uh, about the updates that she made to the coffee house. And I concur. I do love it the longer I look at it. The only thing I am a little bit nervous about is that pastry display right at the counter, that glass pastry display. Are they going to update that frequently? Or are we going to be looking at the same plastic muffins for weeks on end? I need YNR to keep an eye on that for me. <laughs> oh, well. On to more serious topics. We are definitely starting to see some of Sharon's unraveling physically and emotionally now. Early in the week, she was just very worn out, very weak, getting tired easily. She got scared that maybe she had caught a cold at the Newman Enterprises party. And even something as simple as a cold can really spiral out of control quickly and can ultimately throw off her treatment progress. Sharon said that the doctors actually won't do a chemotherapy treatment for her if her immune system is compromised on the scheduled day. And so that means delaying treatment on a longer term, which Sharon does not want to do. As she said, I want this cancer out of me. Oh. What a moment, you know, just I felt that was such a sympathetic moment, just being laser focused on wanting this out of me. Oh, <sighs> one of the other very sympathetic moments of the week came from Faith. First off, I'm sure that Faith felt awful thinking she made Sharon sick. Faith was talking about somebody at school's runny tuna fish sandwich. Gross. That almost made me want to get sick too. <laughs> Truth be told, Faith has made me sick a number of times over the years, but 
much. Faith has come a really long way. I was very impressed with the Faith and Mariah heart to heart. Um, Ray had to go to work during the storm, and so Ray left Faith in charge of you know, keeping an eye on Sharon and taking care of her and meeting her needs. And Faith had this really understandable and engaging reaction to what was going on. And, you know, she was talking to Mariah about the weight that all of this has put onto her ever since she found out that Sharon was sick. And it's almost as if Faith's childhood ended on the day that she found out that Sharon was sick. And I could just totally relate to her saying that she really just wanted to turn around and go back. She just wanted to to retreat back to when things were complicated, yes, but certainly not mortal. And as the night went on, Sharon's sickness got even worse. She was in cold sweats, and she was just very, very weak. And yet, by the way, I couldn't help noticing how beautiful Sharon still looked. Like, even when YNR was trying to make her look like she was sick and just awful feeling, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, she had her hair pulled back in this casual half pony, and she was (laughs) wrapped in a blanket. And here I am thinking, Ugh, she still looks fabulous. I wish I looked like that on any day of the week, you know? I mean, she still looks, her, Sharon at her worst still looks better than me at my best. <laughs> oh, I can't believe that YNR started that story midweek and then didn't even finish it by the end of the week. I feel like I'm left on this cliffhanger feeling really worried about Sharon and I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, she was seriously sick. She needed immediate attention. She potentially needed to be rushed to the ER when when she's in the middle of an ice storm. I mean, where in the heck is this New Hope clinic when I need it? Sharon had a very good conversation with Jack early in the week. She told him and opened up to him about her cancer. It was good to see Sharon getting more comfortable with even just saying the words and also absorbing everyone's reactions to the words and to the news. I thought it was good that Jack also mentioned Ashley's battle with breast cancer. I do remember that. I am sure that times and treatments have probably changed quite a bit since then. It really would have been nice to see Ashley talk with Sharon while she was in town, but that didn't happen. I mean, I would think that if anyone would be able to relate to this experience on the show right now, it, it would be Ashley. So I hope Wyanar makes some space for that, even though Sharon kind of turned it down. She's she's probably got a whole support system of other breast cancer survivors. She probably doesn't need Ashley, but I might. And who knows? Maybe it could be enlightening for Ashley, too. So at Jabot this week, Dina appears 
to both Jack and Ashley separately. And this is obviously Ashley and Jack separately imagining, um, you know, upon hearing the news about Dina's condition, that Dina was somehow released from her pain, that she would be released from her pain, and also that they would be um, released from theirs, and that there would also be um, just a, 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 a washing away of any guilt that anyone felt over the relationships over, the, you know, the past years. And I think there was a, a, a way, I think it was a way for Ashley and Jack to kind of, um, conceptualize this, uh, forgiveness that they would like to see and feel like just forget about the sins of the past all that matters now is that we love each other and we support each other and that we're ending on a good note uh to be honest with you i just don't have a whole lot else to say about those scenes i do kind of wish they would have taken place at the abbott house dina doesn't really fit in at Jabot all that much to me, and she never really worked there. She's never really been there all that much. I think maybe Dina tried to buy it and take it over at one point in the past, but for the most part, the conversations that Dina was um, being imagined to have with Jack and Ashley, those conversations felt so personal, and I felt like that would have belonged more so in the family home, and also with Tracy involved, too. I have never understood the whole, I'm so distraught that I have to go and impulsively sleep with someone thing. It just does not register for me. Grief and sex are so far apart on the scale for me that ne'er the two do meet. <laughs> But, apparently they did for Mariah. Mariah was so upset about Sharon's cancer. And so upset about feeling like she blew it with Tessa by hanging up on her last week and refusing her calls. That Mariah allows Lindsay to follow her to their apartment to Mariah and Tessa's apartment where Lindsay kisses Mariah once and then Mariah kisses Lindsay back many, many, many times. I guess that's implied anyway, though. Did it register to anyone else as a little bit strange that we did not see Mariah and Lindsay's sex scene? It was all implied. I feel like if this were a hetero affair going on, we might have seen a little bit more. But YNR just took us from kisses 
right into Mariah awkwardly walking out of the shower while Lindsay is buttoning up her shirt. Is that weird that we didn't see more? I don't know. Maybe we didn't need to since we have no connection to Lindsay whatsoever. I wish I knew Lindsay. I don't know who she is. She's a bartender. She's a one-dimensional bartender. YNR has done no work on developing Lindsay's personality. She might as well be a potted plant. Mariah might as well have been locking lips with a potted plant. <laughs> Imagine that for a minute. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. So it happened, they slept together, and then Lindsay is right in the middle of trying to help Mariah sweep the whole thing under the rug while Tessa walks in with her suitcase, walks right through the door, ready to make things right with her girlfriend. (laughs) And she beholds this scene that is so obvious to her is going on. Tessa sees right away that something's not right here. And Mariah lies. Mariah's first instinct is to lie, which I guess is kind of on par with who Mariah used to be. Not so much with who she has been recently, but who she used to be. Mariah stands there and bold-faced, completely denies to Tessa that she just slept with Lindsay, who's sitting right there. (laughs) But, I mean, come on. Mariah has practically got the word guilt written right on her forehead. It's very obvious. Tessa is no fool. So Tessa just, I mean, without a whole lot of talking, just turns right back around with her suitcase, walks out, slams the door shut, leaves Mariah in total panic mode while Lindsay's just sitting there keeping serial killer cool, telling Mariah that it's best for her to just, you know, lean on her friends and her family right now, you know, to help get her through the situation that she just helped to create. Lindsay sitting there trying to counsel Mariah about all of this when it was Lindsay who gave the first kiss. It just, that was the most annoying part of it all for me, I think. It feels suspicious a little bit, too. My suspicious mind is wondering if Lindsay could be connected to Tanner. Could Lindsay be on Tanner's payroll or something? I mean, Lindsay was perfectly poised to create this situation and break Mariah and Tessa up for good. Maybe so that Tanner could have his ex-wife back. I don't know that there was any foul play afoot, but it's still Mariah's fault at the end of the day. I mean, Mariah still went along with it at the end of the day, 
all of this is Mariah's making at the end of the day. I mean, it's easy to be suspicious of Lindsay, probably because we don't know her. She's new. She kissed Mariah first. And we don't know anything about her. But I will say, in all fairness, at face value, Lindsay only knows what Mariah has told her. And Mariah apparently had spiraled so far out so quickly about the status of her relationship with Tessa after the shirtless Tanner phone call that Mariah thought things were actually over between her and Tessa. She thought that Tessa was ignoring her phone calls because she had moved on. And that is the message that Lindsay received. That was what Lindsay heard when she went in for the kiss. You know, just trying to make Mariah feel better and feel wanted. (laughs) As if that's a solution. That's a friendly solution to the problem. Oh, you're really upset about your girlfriend breaking up with you? Here, let me just sleep with you, make the whole thing worse, and then comfort you on the side. It kind of reminded me of the time right before Nick and Sharon's last wedding when Nick saw Sharon's engagement ring sitting on the table and he just assumed that Sharon was done with him and then he went out and slept with Phyllis. Let Phyllis make him feel better. So, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's bad news. I guess it was appropriate, though, that Mariah went to talk to Sharon for advice. I mean, there's not a whole lot that Sharon hasn't seen and been through in the relationship department. But Sharon tells Mariah that if she loves Tessa, then she needs to find a way to fix it. But I don't know how on earth that's going to happen. How is Mariah going to fix this? It is certainly true that Mariah has forgiven Tessa for a lot of things, probably more times than I can count, and I guess forgiveness is the only thing that is going to fix this, but it would be a whole lot easier to fix this if we were talking about a relationship where the two people lived in the same town. Tessa doesn't seem to even be in the same country very much these days. Oh my god, look at the view from the top of this hot air balloon. (laughs) What a line. And what a delivery. Oh my god, look at this view from a hot air balloon. (laughs) Who else could have said that? (laughs) But Adam, right? I mean, you know how much Adam loves hot air balloons. Nah, just kidding. That actually was our quote from last week, and it was Adam's suggestion uh, for the destination wedding that he was potentially planning with Chelsea. They were kicking around ideas about where they were going to get married, and uh, apparently uh, doing it at the top of a hot air balloon was one of those suggestions. So, (laughs) congratulations, Anna, Ambreen, Nancy, Brandy, Julie, Michelle, Keisha, Henry, Martha, and Diana, you guys guessed it right. Let's do a new quote. I had a couple of candidates this week, but let's just go with this one. I can feed your face. (laughs) I can feed your face.
you will never guess who said it. I know this! <laughs> if you think I'm wrong, though, you can go to yrchat.com, leave me your guess, and next week I will let you know that you didn't get it right. <laughs> Let's continue our conversation about Mariah and Tessa with a couple of your comments. Diana says, when Tessa opened the door, she didn't seem surprised to see Mariah with another woman. Tessa opened the door like she knew that she was going to catch Mariah in the act. as She opened the door rather quickly and with conviction. It was not in a natural way. Especially the way she put her arm around the door. It was odd. I did also notice the way that Tessa opened up the door. <laughs> but I just assumed it was for drama. I just assumed it was to create this dramatic entrance moment. I didn't connect it to Tessa potentially already knowing what she was going to find inside of the apartment. Now, if Tanner and Lindsay were working together, then it is most certainly possible that Tanner could have tipped Tessa off about what she was going to find inside of the apartment. But I just don't know. I feel like YNR is maybe playing this very matter-of-factly. I don't know that we're going to find out that there was anything else going on. Sherrod says, Why does this show only ever show Mariah's point of view when it comes to this couple's relationship? She's not in it by herself. Both sides should be seen and heard. Or maybe that's just me. No, I think this is such a wonderful point because we really are not getting anything from Tessa's point of view. And I think that's the reason why I am interpreting this as YNR just playing it very matter of fact. I think that all of the point of view that we've had of Tessa has mostly, I mean, anything we've seen of Tessa has just been these video calls and a couple of scenes with Tessa and Tanner on the plane. Those scenes could have been filmed at any point. I mean, they could have banged all of Tessa's scenes for the last month out in one day. So there's a point, a part of me that's just thinking that YNR's just kind of putting the nip on Tessa. I mean, maybe there's not some bigger conspiracy story and there's no need to show Tessa's point of view because they're just kind of done with it. And it might not be YNR's choice. It's certainly possible that the actress, who's a musician, just wants to go off and, you know, work her music and maybe actually do a tour of her own. I don't know that much about what's going on with Kate Fairbanks, but... I can certainly see the writing on the wall that, yeah, we're not getting Tessa's point of view. We're not getting a whole lot of Tessa whatsoever. She didn't really even ask any questions when she flung open the door. So to me, that just feels like YNR didn't want to make it seem like they were just getting rid of Tessa. They just kind of wanted to create a reason for her to be gone. And to do that, they needed Mariah to be the betrayer. Now, I don't know if they are trying to let Tessa off the hook or create, you know, more excuses for her absence in order to maybe now bring on Lindsay and develop around Lindsay and her point of view. But if that's the case, then they're doing an absolutely terrible job of that. I don't know anything 
about Lindsay. All she's done is stand in the background and make, like, side eyes all over the place. I have no reason, certainly, to think that she would be a good match for Mariah. I don't know anything about her. <laughs> I think Weiner's just maybe kind of trying to transition out of this. Maybe Lindsay doesn't even matter. Maybe they're both, maybe Tessa and Lindsay are just both going to go away. And they're just restoring Mariah to being single and miserable, for all I know. Or maybe they just want to insert Mariah over into Sharon's story more and make the focus of her life about that. Shakona says the cancer story is scary. For a mom to have zero interest in hiding from her kids how much pain she's really going through, I would imagine. That's very scary for the children. And now this is interesting. Laura says Sharon should have called Mariah over and calmly said that there's a problem and that there are next. these are the next steps you'll need to take on my behalf. To Faith, she says, I'm not doing well, and this is what happens next. My medical team's prepared for such an event, and everything's under control. I vehemently disagree, Laura says, that Faith should see Sharon falling apart like that, staggering around. No responsible mother shatters like that. It was so selfish, I can't believe my eyes. Oh, wow, from Laura and Shakona, I didn't even register that. I didn't even think about this from a mother who's allowing her child to see her like her children to see her like this. That did not even blip onto my radar screen and I'm not sure why. I suppose only because I'm identifying solely with just what Sharon's going through personally. Um, I guess I interpreted it as Sharon just being unable to control it anymore. I mean, I think that's probably one of the scariest things about cancer is the fact that it is so absolutely uncontrollable. I mean, of course, a mother would, you know, spends her life trying to protect the child from many, many things. And I guess I saw it, I, or now that I'm thinking about it, I guess I, I would have viewed it just from sh just a pu purely a point of Sharon not being being able to protect Sharon, not being able to control that this is the breaking point. This is the point where she is having to succumb to the sickness. I mean, she's been really fighting and really strong and just really trying to put on that brave face in previous scenes. And Sharon has handled her cancer so well with her children and all of her loved ones. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't uh, thought about that as something that sort of looks bad upon Sharon's character. So that's a, a really interesting point. Sandra says, what I was looking for from Ray, I got from Faith. That's what I wanted to see. Faith really is the only one who's said how Sharon's cancer is making them feel. Poor Faith. Oh, Sandra, I remember you saying that, too, that you really wanted to see how, you know, how Ray uh, is able to confide and how he develops and just being, you know, that adult, too, that's that's there. I mean, it's it's interesting that it came from Faith. I'm glad that it came from Faith. But, yeah, I, I mean, I would personally probably find it a little more relatable to see 
Ray having some dialogue like that. Only because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a child and I didn't have to go through this uh, with my mother. But I'm sure there are some people out there, um, you know, Sandra and, and us all included, really, that can connect with um, Faith's story. But yeah, I think uh, Ray just sort of disappearing was maybe there just to create that dr dramatic moment. I mean, the whole storm. It's just, let uh, you know, twice in three months. Let's just do a storm and then create some impossible situations. <laughs> I mean, Sharon and her cancer sickness, Chloe and her little um, scare about potentially going into labor, and, you know, trapping other people together for sexiness, Phyllis Nick, Theo, Lola, Kyle Summer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's a trick, and they certainly are using it, because uh, if Ray was there, it would have been a totally different story, wouldn't it? Ellen says, I would like to see more medical info in Sharon's story. She fears being too sick for her next round of chemo. Okay, but surely she realizes that a delay doesn't mean her treatment's over. Her prognosis is still good. I wish Nate or Elena could be making house calls and injecting some facts and reassurance into the situation. Sharon is either denying that there's an issue at all or spiraling. Maybe that's how it truly is. I don't know. Yeah, you know, um, I, yeah, I think spiraling. I guess that's how I interpreted it, is that she is just spiraling. This is the point where she can't be strong anymore. But I think it, the larger point that you make that's very interesting is that YNR is separately developing this medical clinic and they're, you know, kind of injecting this uh, medical dialogue into the show, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the medical clinic and Nate and Elena and all that. But they're not choosing to intersect that in any way with Sharon's story. I like your idea that they could be doing house calls. You know, that's a little more personal. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, Nate's not an oncologist or whatever, but um, yeah, I still think it's a good point. Oh, so sad. Gary says, thank God Dina didn't die this week. I think it was smart of YNR to have that little vignette with Dina in the middle of the week after last Friday learning that she wasn't doing well. I think wisely YNR is setting up the audience for what's to come in the way that you might warn a family member. I just think it was a good choice to prepare us. It's appreciated. <sighs> okay. <laughs> if you say so, Gary. I don't feel like I'm going to be prepared. I don't think there's anything that's going to be able to prepare me for this. You know, but but you do also, you know, make an interesting point that I predicted that we would that would be our top story with Dina. I thought Jack was giving us the call like she's on death's door. This is what the top story for next week's going to be and that is not what happened. We did have this little break. And I I I, I when I saw that felt a little bit like it's just been dragging it out. We're just dragging it out. But, you know, th this is a very good point that it's uh, meant more to prepare us for the emotions that are to come. Oh, here's a very emotional comment from Zuperplex saying, I remember um, what a, a YouTuber had said recently about uh, d his deceased mother um, th who passed away from Alzheimer's. It's that 
The mind passed away some time ago. It only took a while for the body to catch up. Wow. What a way to put it. The mind passed away some time ago. It only took a while for the body to catch up. Oh. And you know, it was inevitable. We got to catch up now. This is just where we are. It's true. Uh, we've been through the de-evolution of, of Dina's mental state. I mean, we've already been there. There was nothing more they were going to be able to do. So maybe it is merciful for her, merciful for us, that we now get to the point where the body catches up. Well, Jamie says, the Fisher-Baldwin crew is a wonderful ray of sunshine in the storm of sadness. That is Sharon's cancer and Dina's Alzheimer's. Those two stories are beautifully gut-wrenching and heartfelt, but more, more, more Fisher-Baldwin antics. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, you know, on the overall, I, I don't think that these stories storm scenes and this whole thing has been um not well done uh we we got some tears out of it we got some laughs out of it you know we got some unexpected things out of it i do think that it's a good technique it's just that it's it you can't you can't do that once every three months it's this um false crisis i guess and and i don't know i mean it was good i just it's more effective if it's not overused right but I mean, I mean, you know I agree with that, though. I loved the Baldwin-Fisher clan. I think we need to see more of them. Why did we bring Greg Ricart back if we're not really going to see him all that much? I thought he was going to be involved in this caper of chances, and then they just kind of cut him out of that story. He did mention to Chloe that he's going to have a, some, some new source of income for their new little one that's on the way, but then we didn't see him doing it. Maybe we will. Once again, I feel like this um, writing team, I'm, uh, I'm always a weak or two ahead. I feel like their speed and my speed are not synced up always. So maybe it's just that we'll see Kevin working on that in a couple weeks. Ellen says, hey, Chance, did the FBI train you to leave your fingerprints and DNA all over the crime scene? You and Abby are so busted. <laughs> Oh, well, first of all, I know. I was thinking that, too. Like, boy, they are just hacking away on the They're just touching everything. Chance and Abby got up in that room, and not only did they touch everything, but as you say, they left their DNA in the shower. <laughs> I always say, ew. But the where I disagree with you, though, Ellen, is I don't know that they are going to get busted. Part of me thinks that, I mean, I mean, Phyllis is probably going to realize that it's happened and she's going to shake her fist at the sky and say, Ah, Abby, ah, you win this round, but I will be victorious. But I just don't see Phyllis calling the cops. I don't, I mean, I don't, that, probably because if Phyllis did call the cops, then the cops would feel the need to investigate. And if the cops did investigate, as you say, it's going to be real clear who did this. And we can't have that now, can we? Our lead romantic couple, couple going into spring here, Chance and Abby, with fun and flirtation all over the place, we can't have them doing it behind bars. One more comment from Ellen here, because this one tickles me quite a bit. Ellen says... I'm old enough to remember when Phyllis was 
deeply offended when Adam suggested that she pursue a relationship with Nick. Obviously, that suggestion hit a nerve because it was exactly what Phyllis wants. Adam was being manipulative, to be sure, but Phyllis running around town clutching her pearls about this suggestion was all to create drama. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful comment, Ellen. I'm old enough to remember. I love that. And, and uh, yes, I mean, I've gotten into some trouble for that opinion, so I'm just going to leave that on the floor and let you have said it. <laughs> but know that I love it. Um... Let's talk about, ugh, 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 this. <laughs> Daisy says, Victor has been dangling Newman Enterprises in front of Adam for a long time. But Victor will wait for Nick, no matter what. Nick is the golden child and has always been. So we'll see if this will change and it'll be Adam's turn. Adam did try to kill Victor, though, so I can't imagine he'd ever truly consider Adam. I think that Victor will wait Nick out, who might just step in to help his sister. And then maybe Nick will stay once Victoria as well, and they can run the company together. I think Victor might shed a tear if that happened. <laughs> I just can't believe, Daisy, that... That seemed, once again, something like that was going to be resolved this week. I mean, we were kind of talking about that and Victor's decision at the end of last week, and we're still stuck not having this decision. Um, I don't know. Is Nick going to end up going back to Newman Enterprises? Maybe so. He doesn't have anything else going on. I don't know what else they would potentially do with him otherwise. He's not really even involved in the New Hope Clinic thing. I mean, he was supposed to be, he's a part of New Hope too. And he was not there looking at that building. He's the, the real estate guy, I thought. So it's certainly possible that the direction they're headed in with Nick is, is more to get him in there at Newman Enterprises again, and I'm sure Victoria would love to have him. Victoria tried to get him to work there quite some time ago, so perhaps. Now, what that means for Adam, I just do not know. I do not know. Gary says, what a ray of sunshine. Reed Hellstrom is back, but Victoria is already on the mend, so I'm surprised they made the effort to drag him back. Will he have anything going on for himself here? Or will he just head back? I think he's just going to head back, Gary. I mean, I don't even... I, like you said, I don't quite know why they bothered. It was lovely to see him. I love the kid. Keanu Reed. <laughs> Looking very Keanu Reedy. <laughs> it was Reed's excellent adventure up in there. Uh, I, I liked seeing him, but yeah, I, I just... There's no... It's like the same with Noah. There's no real fit for him. They just wanted to chuck him on screen as like a, Hey, remember that guy? That's nice. But I love also that you said Victoria's already on the mend. Because, yeah, I mean, we're having this whole discussion about Newman Enterprises. Victoria's already on the mend. She's fine. <laughs> She's wrapped up with a warm blanket. We don't have to worry about her. Hand her a pen and a pad of paper, and she can get back to work. <laughs> uh, Consuela! 
Here's a great opinion. Says, ugh, I feel like the writers keep teasing me with Billy and Amanda. I am ready for them to hook up already. Oh, so there are some Billy and Amanda fans out here. Let's also hear from Diana, who says, I have to say, I liked Billy this week. Hillary seems lucky to have Billy there to support her. He is being a great friend when she needs one the most, and nobody else seems to be there for Hillary. Billy's character was redeemed a little this week for me, and he's much more likable. Mm, well, now, Diana, I'm not saying this in any way to call you out because everybody does this. I have trouble remembering this. It's not Hillary. It's Amanda. And I'm only mentioning this because it kind of makes a, my point a little bit. Um, I have struggled, trouble week after week remembering to call her Amanda. I'm seeing constant comments at the website of people who call her Hillary. We had a Who Said It quote that was Amanda a couple weeks ago, and lots of people answered Hillary, but we're supposed to be being led to believe that these are two totally different people here. And yet, I I don't understand why the writers picked this direction when they know that viewers had this expectation and a preconceived notion about Amanda slash Hillary, you know? I mean, I feel like the viewers kind of expected her to get back with Devon. Are they just bucking that? I am not sure why they've chosen this direction. The other thing is, I just, Billy... Deciding this week to be a good friend does not redeem him from me. Um, although, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it is for you, most certainly. I just, I guess I don't um, doubt that Billy is capable of being a good friend. I just doubt that he's capable of being a good partner and a self-assured individual. That's my problem with it. I don't think he's in a place to be in a relationship right now, but um, I will be interested to see those poll results. So, let's talk about last week's uh, poll question. Um, uh, Superplex says, in addition to terminating the $2.5 billion stole by Colin, they need to terminate the Amanda and Billy coupling as soon as possible. So here we go. We have two poll questions that are intersecting here, the new and the old. I can't wait to hear what you guys are saying about Billy and Amanda's relationship this upcoming week. And last week I asked you, Colin gives Devon his money back. Do you find this to be a decent ending to that story? Well, 67% of you felt that this story ending was lame. 33% of you said, yes, you, you thought, you know, it was a good ending to the story, and you're glad it wrapped up in Devon's favor. Tony says, the only answer for any of us to give is both. We're glad it wrapped up in Devon's favor and the ending was lame. Well, see, I think that I would have rather had a story that was not wrapped up in Devon's favor than to have the story that we got because it was lame. Not only was the ending lame, there was no ending at all. It was as if you were just listening to YNR chat right now, trying to get really into what it is that I'm saying here, 
And then out of the blue, YNR chat just stops, completely defying your expectation of an ending. 